The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Man, it's so fun to baptize a bunch of people last week. Isn't it awesome to celebrate 51 baptisms? I love, love, love that. Also, if you're one of those that got baptized, my hope is that you've already received some communication about some steps that you can take because last week we talked about how being a disciple is action-oriented, and so we do have some steps we encourage you to be aware of. And again, you should have received some communication already. By the way, if you didn't, let us know on the Connect card if you're in person. If you're online, just let us know in the comments, and we want to make sure we get you those steps clearly. Also, um, I hope that you are praying as you look at all that's going on in the world and you see uh, Ukraine and Russia and all that stuff. It's pretty heartbreaking. Also encourage you, you know, be in prayer um, as we have been. I was loving how somebody in the lobby said, hey, last week, one of the things you prayed for was the confusion of troops and rockets to go different places where they, you know, don't hurt anybody or shouldn't go. And, um, and uh, we saw some testimony, actually, of some of those things happening. So continue to pray, because obviously it's a big deal. I also want to mention that because of your ongoing generosity, at the end of our gatherings, we talked about collecting giving and, and being a regular giver, being generous, but we were able to send $15,000 through Convoy of Hope to Ukraine to help out. So just want to let you know that. And, um, <clears throat> and so... What I love about that is because of what you do regularly, instead of waiting until today, we were able to do that days ago because there was already a dire need, and so that step was already able to take place. Um, Also, I know it was on the announcement video, but I just want to say it. Um, Next week, we have our annual business meeting, and I know for some of you, um, you know about that and encourage you to be there. If you're not a member yet, I encourage you to come as well, but um, if you're a member, mark it on your calendar for next week at 5 p.m. Sunday because we've got some conversations to have and some pretty big steps coming up that we want you to be aware of and a vote that takes place for our membership on some things. So be aware um, next week, 5 p.m. Love to have you there. We're in a series called Discipleship. And uh, if you got a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 5. That's where we're going to land. If you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can go there as well. Um, because Heather and I have four kids, and they're a little older now. Our youngest is 11. Our oldest is 19. But we grew up in the Pixar world with our kids. Anybody with me on that? Okay. So um, I love, I just do, I love, those are some of my favorite movies. I love Ratatouille. Anybody? Um, I know it's, it's a little bit of an obscure one, but I love it. We love that one. We always joke about how all roads lead to Ratatouille because it randomly gets quoted in our family on any given day in any conversation. Um, so anyway, but um, Toy Story, all those, one, two, three, and four, those those are pretty fun. Um, I love Tangled. Anybody out there like, I love, I don't know what it is, but with me and my daughter, we love Tangled. Those are fun. Some of the songs in there are hilarious. Um, but uh, I was thinking of Cars. Uh, we did Cars. And um, at the opening of Cars, you have Lightning McQueen in his trailer. And in that trailer, he's got his eyes closed and he's thinking, he's processing. And he says, I am speed. And he actually says, okay, here we go. Focus, speed. I am speed. One winner, 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast, you know. But, but why is he saying this? Why is he kind of going over this in his head? It's because he's about to race and he's preparing himself. He's so passionate about wanting to win that he's putting all the mental exercises together to get to the race and to win. And, and I say that because as he's, thinking, as he's processing that kind of thing in his passion, my question for you is what are you passionate about? 
And it would, you can add to that, you know, how do you prepare yourself for those things you're passionate about? I remember back when I wanted to get my license so bad, and I lived out on Tulalip in the middle of nowhere, and, and it was like gravel roads. I couldn't wait to get my license because uh, I was stuck out there until I got my license and able to drive, but, but passionate about getting my license. So studying the book, trying to do all the drives right, taking my drive test and failing the first time. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. Um, anybody else failed their first time? Come on. Make me feel good, please, because I was like, man, what? Anyway, um, but you're passionate. Some of you are passionate about landing your dream job. Some of you are passionate about, uh, you know, getting a, a degree. Maybe you're getting a bachelor's or you're moving on towards a master's or a doctorate degree. Or maybe at some point you're looking forward to owning your own company and you have this passion to take a step and, and do something like that. And some of your passions are a little simpler. Like, I just want to master the recipe to my favorite dessert so I can eat a bunch of it. But anyway, um, Whatever it might be that you're passionate about, the truth is there's something about how it drives us to prepare differently, to be aware of what to do so we can accomplish or get to that passion. Now, if everything I've just said lands you in a place where you go, I don't know that right now I'm passionate about anything. Some of you are like, been there, done that, got the t-shirt and the mug, and I'm just kind of done. I'm just kind of going through the motions of life. I want to pray for you. I really do. I want to pray for you for a moment. God, there's something about in the world that we live in. We become jaded. We become skeptical. We become frustrated. We get disappointed. Things don't play out the way that we want. And instead of being passionate, we, oh, I hear that. And it sounds good from a stage, and the pastor has to say it because that's what he's supposed to do. Anyway, I just pray for something in us to break and for some that need uh, a fresh passion, that need your spirit to come alive inside of them about life and, and what you've designed. God, I pray for that, Lord. I pray that even now as we pray for this, whether sitting at home watching online or in this room in the balcony main floor today, that you would do this work to break anything that keeps us from being passionate because of becoming jaded, because of becoming skeptical, because life doesn't pan out. God, I pray you would resurrect passions in every heart in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so maybe we're passionate, but here's a question for you. Are you passionate about spiritual matters as much as other things in your life? I was uh, in Irresistible. We, Heather and I teach a class on Mondays called Irresistible, and we're kind of navigating through uh, the halfway point towards the end of it. And last week in this class, as we're talking about being passionate, uh, or sorry, we're talking about Scripture and the Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant, what, somebody raised their hand and said, you know, there's something about what we've done in this class that is, has really reignited this passion or ignited this passion in me to understand Scripture and the context of it and all this stuff. And, and again, that's something where I love seeing those lights come on and seeing people come alive about the right kind of passions. And let me take it a step further, or let me be specific. What if Jesus told us, and it's called, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, it's written in red letters. What if Jesus told us where our key passions should be? It probably means we should pay close attention, right? And so I want to encourage you to realize, and this has kind of been the, 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 the foundation for this series. In Matthew 28, after Jesus said, I'm going to, you know, they're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried on the third day. I'm going to be raised to life and then does it. And it's like, that's amazing. And that's why he's the Lord of the universe, the Lord of the world. Um, and we took communion to remind us of who Jesus is. But after all that happened, he appeared to the disciples multiple times. At one point, he said to the disciples, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And by the way, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus said to disciples, which by the way, by a raise of hands, how many in here would say I'm a disciple? I'm a follower of Jesus. Come on. Okay. Yeah, most of us. Okay, if you're a disciple, Jesus is saying to you, go, get out from all the comfort, get out from going through your regular routine and help make disciples. And what you do is go, well, wait a minute. I mean, I invite people, I come here, I take notes, I watch the show, I even pray about stuff that God is doing in my heart. But the challenge of it is this. We often think that the job of making disciples is the pastor's job, is the leadership in church world's job. If I just invite them, then, then you do all the rest. And that's not how this is supposed to work. Jesus said to disciples, go make disciples. And I want to I bring you to um, Hebrews chapter 5 for a moment here because there's so much more to the conversation. Not only did Jesus and Paul and James and Peter and John and Luke, again, people that wrote this is what we call the New Testament. They wrote letters to the church. Not only do they say that, but the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 5, we have much to say about this. Now, time out for a second. And they're like, I barely scratched the surface of this verse. The writer of Hebrews is establishing at the very beginning in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, he's establishing or she's establishing this idea that Jesus and what Jesus has done is better than the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. What Jesus has done, his promises are better than old covenant promises. His work is better than old covenant work. His blood is better than old covenant blood shed. What he's done is far better and he's a better high priest than the old high priest. And some of you guys go, well, wait, wait a minute. What does that mean? Okay, let me take you on a journey as you get to chapter five. We have much more. This is chapter five, verse 11. We have much more to say about this. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts of, uh, that lead to death uh, and of faith in God. Instructions about cleansing rites, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, uh, eternal judgment and God permitting we will do so. Now, I just read all of that, but the basics of understanding start at verse 11. The basics are this. There's a point in your Christian experience where you've got to move on to maturity. Now, I'm going to define that more specifically, but the deal is this. For any of us that have been in Christ for a certain period of time, and it's not necessarily the same amount of time for everybody, but the idea is if you've been in this for, for six months, for a year, for a couple of years, especially five 10 for sure, 15, 30. Um, I'm going to celebrate my 30th anniversary or my 30th birthday in Christ this coming May. 
And, and I'm excited about that, but, but here's the deal. There's a point where for any of us, we're challenged to move on from the elementary stuff into maturity. The writer of Hebrews says, I'm trying to move you into maturity, but you stopped learning. You stopped growing. And he puts it this way. By this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers. What is he saying? What is she saying? You ought to be leading others. You ought to be discipling others, but you're not doing that because you've stayed in immaturity. Create some more tension when, when it's mentioned. He says that he uses the word elementary over and over. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths all over again. You need milk, not solid food. I mean, that feels a little insulting, doesn't it? I mean, I have a 19-year-old a daughter, a 16-year-old son, a 14-year-old daughter, and an 11-year-old son. I had to memorize that for this message just so I got it right. <laughs> right? So I, don't, I don't know where they are. They're just a zoo full of kids. Anyway, um, but my son, he's 16, and he's a janitor here at the Grove Church. I think he's great. I was a janitor here way back in the day. But um, what, what, what if we were in the lobby today, and he was, he was doing his job, and then he took a little break, and I came up, and I got him a little bit of Gerber and a little spoon and started giving it to him? Wouldn't you be like, something's wrong with this picture? Why? Because he's 16. There's a point at somewhere around two or three or four, I guess, that he should be feeding himself, right? And so listen, the challenge the writer of Hebrews is making to all of us is that this is something where you've got to move beyond just having milk. You've got to move beyond this idea. I will say this, and I say it cautiously, but every now and then, you can meet somebody that says, well, I left the Grove Church because I wasn't getting fed. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're new to this thing, I want to feed you all day long. And some of us, we're here to feed you, want to help feed you. But there's a point where you've got to learn to get the spoon out yourself and dip it into the thing and eat and feed yourself. And honestly, that's just the natural progression of maturity. Practically, when it comes to meals, and spiritually when it comes to the food of the scriptures that we're called to take in. And that's not meant to be an insult, but listen, if all this is about, about you know, your mouth's open and the, the mama bird coming in and throwing stuff in your mouth, there's a point where that's got to change. You're like, man, you're just making it worse. You keep digging a hole. I get it. I feel it. It's like, move on. But, but, but look at how, how it's said. You need milk, not solid food. And there's an exclamation point, meaning this is ridiculous. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And then look at verse 14. But solid food, put it, yeah, it's on the screen. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained, what? Themselves. We're called to, as we move beyond the infancy of our spiritual lives and into maturity, we're called to train ourselves, to equip ourselves, to feed ourselves. I, I will say this, I didn't grow up in church world, and I've mentioned before that, that when I gave my life to Christ and I got baptized, there was not a lot about my life that had really changed. There wasn't any change in belief system necessarily, whatever. I was a brand new believer in Jesus, and I got baptized, and then um, I got a Bible, and somebody said, read the book of James. 
And so I, I, I opened the Bible for the first time as a follower of Christ, and I began to read the book of James. And I had tried from probably about the time I was eight or nine, maybe seven, eight or nine, to, to the time I was going on 17, I had tried at different times to read the Bible. And I would read from the beginning, and sometimes I would read just random spots, but never did anything about it really make any sense to me. And so I would read a little while, a few days in a row, and try, I'm, I don't get it. There was something about when I opened the Bible after having committed my life to Christ, that it, it, it like jumped off the page. It, it was alive. And why do I say that? Because when we talk about for you and I, um, um, eating the word or, or, or devouring the scriptures is the word. There's something about what the Holy Spirit does when we live in that place of surrender that makes it come alive. That, that, that brings a conviction that, that moves us towards transformation, that gives us an understanding we didn't used to have. Anybody else familiar with that journey? Again, I didn't grow up in church world, so it was a little different for me. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and, and, and makes it alive. Eugene Peterson, um, I read his biography years ago, and, and I've read a bunch of different things he's written. I respect him a ton. He passed away a couple years back, but he wrote a lot from the perspective and the heart of, of a pastor. And he wrote a book called Eat This Book. And by the way, if you're looking for a great book to read, I want to challenge you to maybe consider buying it and reading it. The subtitle of the book is this, A Conversation in the Art of Spiritual Reading. But a couple of quotes I want to pull out from the book. He says this, I want to pull the, script, uh, the Christian scriptures back from the margins of the contemporary imagination where they have been so rudely elbowed out by their glamorous competitors. What he's saying is there's all kinds of self-help talk and gurus about motivation and leadership, all this stuff. And those aren't terrible things, but he's saying those things elbow out the scriptures. He says, I want to reestablish them at the center as the text for living the Christian life deeply and well. I want to confront and expose this replacement of the authoritative Bible by the authoritative self. What he's saying is something I mentioned weeks ago in this same series. It's not just about you and I having a steady diet of reading the scripture. So it's not just about us reading the scripture. It's about letting the scripture read us. Letting it challenge, letting it convict us. Another quote from the book is this, and he talks about C.S. Lewis, who I appreciate, a writer. He's passed away years and years ago now, um, but a thinker and Christian writer. So C.S. Lewis, in the last book he wrote, talked about two kinds of reading. Listen to this. The reading in which we use a book for our own purposes and the reading in which we receive the author's purposes. The first ensures only bad reading. The second opens the possibility to good reading. For you and I, as we're, as we're pulled, as we sense this tension to move from infancy in our spiritual walks to maturity, there's something about what we're called to do as we look at scriptures and allow ourselves to be transformed. This process of taking it upon ourselves, the responsibility to, to grow, the responsibility to do what we're called to do. And he goes on to say, as you look back at Hebrews 5, because you're doing what would be expected of you, you can move beyond the basics into maturity. What is maturity? When we say maturity, what does that look like? It's not perfection. But as you and I move from infancy to maturity, it's kind of this picture of our ability to lead others. Our ability to, to, to teach others, help others, offer wisdom, share what we've learned. Praying with others, there's a progression. The correct understanding 
of the Christian faith goes like this. All of us are disciples who make disciples. All of us are disciples who make disciples. There's no way around it. Like I said, it's not you invite someone, they come. That's great. That's good. Should do that. But if you think that you invite them, they come, and now it's my job to do it all. Now it's key leaders' job to do it all. That's not the picture. If you're a follower of Christ, if you made a commitment to follow Jesus, go public with your faith through baptism, like I said before, being a disciple is action-oriented, taking steps, moving forward in this progression towards maturity, then guess what? It's all of our responsibility. All of us are disciples who make disciples. Let me, let me take you to Ephesians chapter 4 for a couple of moments here, and if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, there's that word again, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants blown back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, head, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, I just read a whole bunch. I'm going to briefly break it down. Paul is saying, as he writes this to the church at Ephesus, that God has designed within a church context different individuals to have roles of leadership, but the key to understanding those roles of leadership is that we equip the body, we equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, and this is some tension in all of us, every member is a minister. Every saint is can learn how to serve. Every part of the body has a function. And the deal is, anybody that's a leader in church context ought to bear the responsibility of challenging every person that's part of that body to serve their purposes. So that's the picture. And then the warning is this. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? What Paul is saying is when all of us does our part, when all of us understands the role of minister and does what we're called to do, that's when the whole body can be built up the way that it's supposed to be and it can be a healthy body becoming all that God wants it to become, having the kind of impact that God calls us to have. Anybody out there go to the gym regularly? <clears throat> okay. Some of us. You ever go to the gym and you see somebody that they love leg day, but they skip other days? Or the opposite. You ever see somebody, you go to the gym and they love upper body day, they love the bro session, get the biceps, but their legs look like little bean poles? You ever see somebody's like, are you pointing to yourself, I hope? Because your neighbor's not going to like you if you're pointing. 
If you've ever seen this, there's something about, oh, I love leg day. And so these massive legs, but their upper body's all scrawny or the opposite. And that's kind of the idea that Paul is talking about here. If you don't help the entire body understand and have each part take on the functions it's supposed to, it's not healthy. Let me just ask you this. What if you were the full size that you are right now in this room, but your arms were the arms of when you were four years old? You're like, something's wrong here. Something ain't working right here. That's Paul's point. If we don't do what we're called to do, each of us, not together necessarily, each of us, then the body isn't functioning the way that it's supposed to. And some parts are doing great, but other parts aren't. It would look pretty weird if you had four-year-old arms on your current adult-sized body. <laughs> Paul goes on to say, and, and again, he, he's talking the same way the writer of Hebrews is, is talking. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and, and, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Remember, in context, Paul is constantly dealing with bad teaching. He's trying to correct bad teaching. So that's when he says, look, you've got to move to maturity, otherwise you're going to be deceived. You, you, every now and then, somebody comes along and they're a spiritual leader that will tell you, you know, oh, the Lord showed me Jesus is coming back October 21st. Anybody remember this a few years ago? Some kook that's like, oh, Jesus showed me. You're like, hey, way to go, buddy. That's not biblical. But yet he said, it's October, I think it was 21st, you know, like, you know, what was it, 20, 2014 or something. And a bunch of people got all spun up like, oh no, it's going to happen. What are we going to do? Well, those people that fall prey to that probably haven't taken on a steady diet of scripture to understand that, that Jesus said nobody, know, nobody will ever know the day or the hour. Sure, there's signs, there's things that show us, boy, the end sure seems like it's coming. And I would say that today, by the way, like, man, alive, right? But I'm not here to tell you, hey guys, this Tuesday, get ready. If the rapture happens and we all end up going and floating up in heaven, don't be somewhere where there's a roof because you're gonna get stuck on the ceiling, right? <laughs> all of a sudden I got like Lionel Richie in my head. What a feeling dancing on the ceiling. That is horrible, okay? That is horrible. Don't, Nick, shut up. Step, rewind. Okay, but, but the deal is like, what if, what if you actually believe that? Like if Jesus comes back, you can't be in a place with a covered roof because you're gonna get stuck. What did Paul just say? Become mature and you won't be duped by some idiot that's making up Lionel Richie things. That's like the NIV, Nick-inspired version of that right there. Don't be blown and tossed by all these different winds of teaching. Don't give in to that. So what you've got to do, as he's saying, is you've got to take your place and move into maturity. And as you mature, you teach others. Because all of us who are disciples are making disciples. It's on all of us. And he goes on to say, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect. So again, he's saying, arm not discluded, legs not discluded, all parts together. In every respect, the mature body of him who is the head. And that is Christ. From him, the head, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a role to play. We all have a spot where we're challenged to help others understand Christ. Every one of us bears that responsibility. Let me ask you a couple of questions. 
If others followed my current life or teaching, who would they become today? Not after this message. If others around you followed your current life, the things that you model, were to follow the things that you say regularly, not just on a Sunday when worship's on your lips, but every day. If other people around you were to, to follow your current life, your current teaching, who would they become? How passionate are you about Jesus' mandate to make disciples? Do you think about what that looks like in your home as you raise your kids? Do you think about what that looks like as you navigate through your neighborhood? I mean, what is your reputation when you drive around? People see you come through your neighborhood and pull into your driveway. What do they know about you? How have you carried yourself? What kind of, what kind of things have you said to other neighbors about those neighbors? Finally, what does it look like to become a disciple that makes disciples? Ask yourself that question. If you were to fill in the blank, let me pause for a second. I don't want answers out loud. I want you to think about it. What would it look like for you as a disciple to make disciples? Because it's on you and me. When you have a steady diet of reading scripture, taking in the word, something you learn new, it's so fun when it's fresh because later that day, it's fun to go, man, I was just reading this morning, you were sharing this and maybe this verse is for you today. You're much more prepared to stop and when you do encounter somebody that's going through something hard, instead of just saying, it's gonna get better, you say, man, I know this might sound a little odd, but can I just pray for you? When something comes alive from the scriptures, you're able to share that. Or somebody asks, how was your weekend? Hey, it was good. What'd you do? Well, and you're thinking about, well, Saturday I did this and that. I'm not gonna talk about Sunday because Sunday I did church stuff and I'm gonna think I'm a weirdo. But instead of going, man, Sunday I was part of this gathering. I'll tell you what, man. We had communion. There was a moment where something came alive in me. There's something to worship. I don't know, something. there's something cool about that. And maybe you're not a spiritual person, but man, it really mattered to me. What does it look like for you to help the light bulbs come on in the journey of other people toward Christ? because that's on all of us. Let me just say this. I encourage you to go back, and if you need help becoming a disciple that makes disciples, go back and listen to this series. Not because we've nailed it, not because I've done it perfectly, but my hope would be that as you look at the progression, we talked about in part two, living in daily surrender and what that will do to help you. We talked about having a daily habit of being a scripture reader and letting scripture read you. Evan talked about how we're not just hearers, but doers and what it looks like to take action on our faith. And then I talked about how in, in a couple of weeks ago before baptism, how you and I are ambassadors, representatives of Christ wherever we go. And go back and listen to some of those. And finally, this isn't the point of the message, but maybe be like Lightning McQueen for a little bit, not really. But what would it look like for you to remind yourself of something like this? I'm an ambassador of Christ. In fact, what I want to do for a few moments, and, and again, I know we talk about in person, even if you're online, repeat this to somebody watching next to you. Maybe if you're alone, just repeat this out loud. But if you're in person, I want you to repeat this with me. Just say, I am an ambassador of Christ. 
Okay, everybody say, I am an ambassador of Christ. Keep going here. People see Jesus through me. Therefore, I need to be aware of how I carry myself with my neighbors, with my family, with my coworkers, with my friends, with everybody. Okay, keep repeating. Say, Jesus, make me ready to represent you all the time. That's something that we're going to put out there this week. And it's not that you got to memorize it necessarily, but we'll put it out there for maybe you to consider, maybe put it on a note card, something for you just to repeat to yourself because this isn't a Sunday to Sunday thing. This isn't just playing church. I say that all the time. This isn't just playing church. In fact, I'm going to go back for a moment to that, that Christian thinker, C.S. Lewis. I, I, I love some of his writing. But one of the things he says is this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Ouch. Except that we take it seriously. Ouch. Except that we say all the time, the church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Father, today, I pray you would help this be our conviction that we're not playing let's gather. That's great. We're not playing let's feel good on a Sunday. We're not playing check a spiritual box. We're not playing let's just get to heaven. There's so much more to it, God. And it has everything to do with the red letters of Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go make disciples. And it's on all of us. And I pray we wouldn't leave here thinking, well, the pastor better do his job. Well, the support staff better do their job. Well, the other leaders here, the board better do their job. That it's on all of us. What does it look like? to help the light come on for other people in conversations that we have, in prayers that we pray and how we live our lives every single day. Because all of us who are disciples are called to make disciples. I pray we would believe it and live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.